You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. How many folks this morning, you are familiar with this text? This is not the first time you have heard this text. Okay. I think if you grew up in church, if you were in a church where they ever spoke about the Old Testament, you have heard this text. The challenge with this text is simply that we've got to make sure that we are true to the Word of God and say what the text is saying, what it meant to this helpless, nameless woman in 840 B.C., and not what we want it to mean for ourselves as we think about empty jars, filling the oil, and making money. Okay? So... I just want to say this morning that where we're headed might be a little different than what you might be accustomed to. I want to look this morning at the plight of a nameless, helpless woman. We've heard the text read already this morning. Here is a woman who cries out to the prophet Elijah, and here's what she says. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he feared the Lord. So, as she cries out, she, she acknowledges that her husband was a servant of Elijah. As we've worked our way through the book of Kings, you know this morning that Elijah is the man. He is the prophet of the true God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel. And she says, Elijah, you know that my husband was your servant. He was one of the prophets. Not only that, we know that he was a true follower of God. He followed Elijah and followed Elijah's God, which reminds us that there are false followers of God. Not everyone who names the name of Christ belongs to Christ. And if you doubt that, hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, On that day there will be people who come to me and say, Lord, have we not done all these things in your name? And Jesus will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Which is horrifying to think that you thought you were a true follower and you were not. Not only that, we know that there are false gods to follow. He's following the true God. But there are false gods to follow. Not all paths lead to heaven. right? Not all roads go to the same place. That's not even possible. A religion who says one thing and another who says another thing, they both can't be right. They can both be wrong. But they both can't be right. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So he is a true follower of God. And remember that he is following God in the northern kingdom called Israel. You remember that the northern kingdom is the land of Baal, false worship of Baal, and the bull, bull worship, right? They had changed the worship of Yahweh into something it was never intended to be. And so, here we find a godly man who was swimming against the stream. He was swimming against the stream of his government. In the northern kingdom, the kings worshipped 
At this time, now they go back to the bull worship, but this was government-sanctioned. They were a proud sponsor of this false religion. And, and just so that you know, when the government sponsors a religion, there's no way to advance unless you follow that religion. He was swimming against stream of the state-sponsored religion. Not only that, he was swimming against the stream of his culture. In the northern kingdom, the worship of Yahweh, the true God, was in the minority. It wasn't like our culture today where everyone's doing it, so we all want to be different like everybody else. That's not what's happening here. The worship of Yahweh for this man cost him something. He was swimming against the culture. It was not popular. A matter of fact, men and women had died already following Yahweh. They were persecuted. And this woman who is nameless, And helpless, says, my husband feared God. He was doing right. And now he's dead. And not only is he dead, but disaster is coming. She said, hey, my husband served the Lord. He was faithful. We sacrificed. We did the right thing. Now he's dead. Disaster's coming. There are debts to pay, and I have no way of paying them. And my two sons, as a widow in 840 B.C., are the only means of ever having a chance to make anything. The creditor is coming, and he is taking them. I am in trouble. In trouble. Now, this morning, I don't want to just read the text and work our way through it. Yeah, we know where we're going. I want you this morning to literally understand and feel her dilemma, the hopelessness of her situation. Because this is a real woman. Whether we have her name or not, this happened to her. And you can hear in her voice and in her statement, is God for me or is God against me? We served, we sacrificed, we did the right thing. And now this, this is my reward. Listen to me. The cry of this woman is not just a cry from a woman in the Iron Age is a cry from people in the information age. And I think if you'll just pause for a moment, that in our hearts and life there have been times, and maybe now we're in a time, where we would say, or at least we know someone who would say, wait a minute, I served, I was faithful, I did the right thing. And now this is the reward that I get? Are you kidding me, man? Certainly, we hear her cry. It is not foreign to us. It is a cry of a Christian woman who loved Christ, did the right thing, served him, 
And now the cancer is back. It's a cry of Christian farmers who are people of integrity. And they lose their crop again. It's a cry of a pastor who has a stroke and devastates his family, his children, and his ministry. It's the cry of the Christian mother and father who loses and buries a child. Whether they're an infant or in their 40s. It's the cry of the sweet, sweet couple who love Christ and now their child's born with a tumor in their brain or a heart defect. cry of parents who, although broken and flawed, tried to do the right thing with their kids. Honestly tried to raise them in the way of the Lord. Now, that kid just walks away from their faith. It's a cry of a Christian marriage where one spouse just thinks, I want to be happy now, and walks away, blowing up everything that home, the church, and the cause of Christ. Can you hear now the cry of this woman in a different light? Because it's a cry of many believers this morning. Hey, we did the right thing, and now the creditor is coming. I'm serving you. I'm doing right. And here comes trouble. Now listen to me. I think you know this. Trouble comes to everyone. Whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or a believer this morning, trouble comes to everyone. And in this story, there's a reminder from this woman of the reality of trouble. And I want to talk this morning of the reality of trouble for God's people. How many folks this morning, you are familiar with the term prosperity gospel? Can I see your hands? Prosperity gospel. Okay. Just to let you know, we don't preach that here. Okay, just so that you know. The prosperity gospel says, hey, if you come to Jesus and you get saved and you live by faith, then you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and every one of your wildest dreams will come true. Right? You can actually use your prayer time for God to fund your idolatry. Whatever you want, he will do for you. Now, that philosophy is problematic. No, let me, let me rephrase that. That philosophy is a lie. It's a lie. That is not the gospel, right? Jesus did not come to make us rich. Jesus came to save our wretched souls. And there's a huge difference there. The gospel of Jesus Christ says we have rebelled, we have turned everyone our own way, we have been poor representatives of the image bearers of God, we hate, we criticize, we're unlovely, we're ugly within, we are lustful, we are greedy, we are turned from God and we will have our own way. The gospel says God is holy, righteous, and just, 
He will judge all sin because all sin destroys and we are condemned. And yet, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the true gospel. And so, um, understand this morning, believer, we are not immune from trouble. We should know this. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16. He said, um, in this world, you will have tribulation. You've heard that before, eh? Yeah. We've memorized that one. Yeah, that's the case. Paul goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 3, he says, Verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. It's funny, Peter picks up the same idea. 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that Christ was our example. He suffered being an example for us that we should follow in his example. And in chapter 4, he comes and says, listen, don't think it's strange considering the fiery trial of your faith as something strange happened to you. We should expect these things. And so understand this morning that for this woman and for us, we are not immune from trouble. We're not at all. That's the reality. But you might ask, listening to this story, and doing your own life or the lives of people you love, what's the reason? Why? And if you're asking why this morning to say, well, why do we have trouble in this world? That's an easy answer for me. The easy answer for trouble and suffering in this world is sin. It's an easy answer. This world is not the way it was created. It was created good and perfect. But when Adam and Eve rebelled against God to be their own God, sin came to this world, and sin destroys everything. Its DNA is on every facet of pain and suffering, and now because of the wages of sin, there is death. Simple answer. We have trouble because of sin. It's out there. We know that. But I would imagine your question is not that. Your question is, why does God allow trouble in my life? Why, for all of those scenarios of people who love him and are doing right, why do those people suffer? You want an answer for that? Here it is. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know, the Bible has much to say about this. And it might be wise for us just to just take a little detour. We're going to come back. Maybe consider Job this morning. You've heard of Job, or as some people call him Job. Right? You know his story, story about suffering. And I would imagine he wins first place this morning when we talk about suffering. In one day, in one day, ten children, gone. One child is horrific. All ten, gone. In one day, all of his wealth, all of it, and he was a rich man, all of it, gone. Wiped out in one day. And shortly after that, his body is racked with excruciating pain. 
And we hear from Job, and as we hear from him, we are amazed that in chapters 1 and 2, when all of these things happen, he has no idea why they're happening. He, he never sees why, ever. He does really well. He says, naked I came to the world, naked I will return. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that in, in itself is mind-blowing. That's his response, and it humbles us. It humbles me. Do you know that the book of Job doesn't just have two chapters? It has 42 chapters. And as Job's initial response to this idea of suffering, is God for me, is he against me, why do bad things happen to seemingly good people and believers? you see a change that now Job is considering his situation and there is a struggle of his soul. And in chapter 3, he starts to lament and cry out like this, Cursed the day that I was born. Job says, I wish I never saw the light of day. He goes on to say later in chapter 3, the thing that I feared most in my life, it's happened to me. And worst of all, it seems as if God has shut himself off from me. The heaven is like brass. I feel abandoned. It is a dark night of the soul. And it's drawn out. 42 chapters. Listen to me. There is no instant working through the pain and grief and sorrow sometimes. It's a process, man. So when you see someone suffering, this is really a bad thing to say. Just get over it! I I never ceases to amaze me, that human beings amaze me, how stupid we can be. The things we say, just get over it. My friend, listen to me. It's a journey. This is not no instant fix. And the truth is this morning, there is suffering that we will endure our entire life. There are some tears that only Jesus will wipe away in glory. And many of you know what I'm talking about. And so, we better be careful. So Job goes through this struggle in his soul, and he wants to know why. It's the same thing as, I sacrificed, I did right, I was righteous, Lord, I was, I was praying for my kids. I was doing an offering for my kids. I took care of the poor. I did it right. And Job says, why? God, I want, I demand an audience with you. Why? Why? And he believes that he will find relief in the answer, God answering the question of why. And so through chapters 3 through about 38, Job is lamenting, and his friends are helping him. 
He has terrible friends. Terrible friends. And their deal is this, Job, we know why you're suffering. You're suffering because you've sinned. Now granted, there are times when we suffer because we've sinned. There are consequences for our actions. This is true. But they had no category for the idea that someone innocent would suffer. If they could only see, fast forward, to a place called Calvary. They would see someone truly innocent suffering for those who are truly guilty. And the amazing thing is that God would do that for us. But they had no category. They had no idea that there could be mystery to this thing of suffering. And so Job laments and he complains and says, God, I want an audience. You you owe me, you owe me an explanation. And God in his graciousness then speaks to Job, chapters 38 through 42. This is the longest discourse in the Bible of God speaking. You ought to look at it. And, and what God does when Job demands the why question, he doesn't tell him. Instead, what he does is start to ask Job some questions. Real simple questions like, hey, Job, where were you when I created the world? Hey, Job, how does this work? Hey, Job, can you answer any of my questions at all? And yet, you look at creation, you see the mystery of everything, of life and how I sustain it and how it works. The things that we think are simple are so complex, we can't figure out. And yet, we charge God with not knowing what he's doing or being unjust and unfair. And God continues the questioning with Job. He never answers the why. And if you think for one minute, just for a minute, there was another question of why that was never answered. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ did not receive an answer. But I want you to know what God did for Job that he longs to do for us when we ask the question, why? He did right. I thought I was doing the right thing. And then this? He doesn't answer the why question. He answers the who question. Who? I am. Job, I'm not going to answer your why. You can't comprehend. I'm going to answer the who. Job, this is who I am. And Job has an encounter with the God of heaven, and God has revealed himself to Job in such a way that the greatness of God is more than enough to comfort his broken heart and to calm his noisy soul. When God is done revealing himself to Job, there is no more why, God. There is who. And God, as I see you now, ashamed. Covered my mouth. How dare I even ask when I see your true character. Now, with, with that in mind, let's go back to our text, right? And I want you to see this woman who is in trouble. And I want you to see how she responds and how God responds to her. 
She is in trouble, yet she believes. She believes. You say, how do you know she believes? Well, you know who she runs to? She runs to Elijah. Who is Elijah? Elijah is God's representative. He is the prophet in Israel. When people see Elijah, he speaks God's word, and she runs to Elijah, and she cries out. This is where I'm at. This is what's going on in my life. She doesn't inform him. She doesn't have a bunch of options for him to do. She simply cries out to God. Now I want you to see and notice just two things this morning. God's tenderness and God's tendency. First, his tenderness. Here is a nameless, helpless woman. And yet, she has access to Almighty God. Now, listen to me. This might not seem like a big deal, but this is a big deal. Because if you remember back in the other chapter, this, this verse might actually be where we're at, fellas. I know I've screwed you up this morning. I'm sorry. It's the way it went. But this verse might be up there. 2 Kings chapter 3, about verse 14. Is that up there, Jake? Uh, they're not going to... Oh, no, it's not Isaiah. That's it. The king of Israel comes to Elijah just one chapter before and says, listen, we've got trouble, I'm in trouble, we three kings are going to die here, and we want to hear from the word of the Lord. And here's what Elijah says to him, the king of Israel. I'm going to paraphrase, get out of my face. I don't even want to look at you. You make me sick. If it wasn't for you standing next to a descendant of David, I wouldn't even acknowledge you. Right? That's a... That's a big insult. We used to call that a burn back in the 80s. Ooh, you burned them. Do they still use that? No, they don't. Never mind. Burn. He got burned. Big time. That was a king of Israel. And yet here comes this woman who is nameless and helpless, and Elijah says, what can I do for you? She has access to throne. Do you know why? Because she's helpless and she's nameless. No. She has access because she's part of the covenant community. Her family followed Yahweh. She's part of the covenant and God has made himself available to his covenant people. She, in her trouble, had some place to turn. And my friend, believer this morning, in our trouble, by God's grace, we have some place to turn. Listen to this. The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear. He says, seeing then, we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may able to, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Believer this morning, in your struggle, in your trial, in your suffering, in your grief, you have access to the God of heaven. You have access to cry out to the one who hears and knows and can do. I cannot 
heal your broken heart. Above my pay grade. I can't heal my own broken heart. But what we can do to fellow believers is to point you to the one who can, the one who binds up the brokenhearted, the one who sets the prisoner free, the one who takes our mourning and turns it to joy, who takes the ashes of our life and turns it into beauty, who takes the garment of heaviness and turns it into praise, I can always direct you to Jesus Christ who does hear, who does know, and who does care. And it's safe, and it's healthy, and it's right to go to him. You can unburden your soul in Jesus Christ. He can be trusted to know what's going on, and what to do, and to be able to rest in him. We find peace that passes all understanding. We see God's tenderness. Believer, in your struggle and in your trouble, you are invited to come into the throne room of grace and pour out your soul to God. And then, in closing, I just want you to notice God's tendencies. And I had to be really careful here because... I have to be honest, I think of the cruise of oil and the faith and the obedience and it's filled up and there's things going on where it's like, yeah, she has nothing, that's where God starts and then there's a community of people give to that and a lot of things. I don't want to do that this morning. Well, I just did, but I don't want to do that this morning. I want to talk to you about God's tendency. At the very end, we find it here. The end of our story, as this woman cries out to God, she's obedient She fills up the cruises of oil, the jars, the clays are full. And here's what she goes back to Elijah and says, listen, they're full. Nothing left. And here's what Elijah says. Go and sell it. Oh, sell it. And then pay off your debt. This was the initial problem. She's going to lose her sons. Take the oil, the oil that God has given you, sell it, pay off your debt. And then here's what he says. Did you catch this? Then live off of the rest. I don't know how old she is. don't know how old her kids are. But she sells, pays for these debts, and then she has enough to live off of the rest. And I want you to know something. God always does more than we could ever imagine. This is his tendency. Even in our grief, even in our pain, even in our suffering, even in our struggle, he is at work. Listen to the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. And it's a little lengthy, but it's worth listening to. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, to him, 
glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. This God is tender toward us, and his tendency is always to do more than we could ever ask or think. Listen to me. I am not saying this morning that your pain, your suffering, your struggle is good. not good. It's real. Romans 8 doesn't say it's good. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good. Those all things aren't always good things. But God's tendency with us and in our feebleness, and in our pain, and our limited view, is to say, listen, I know this is bad. I know this is a struggle. I know this is painful. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to do more through this than you could ever ask or think. And I have to be honest, I've been at this thing for a long time. A long time. And I have seen God use greatly those who he wounds deeply. In ways that other people just don't get. Because they quit asking the why question, got the answer of the who question. You know that gold is refined not in a pile of marshmallows. I don't know if you knew that. They or they they, they get out of the ground, right? They what they do. I, don't, I was going to say or it, not or. What am I looking for? Mine it. There you go. From West Virginia, we or things. And uh, we or coal. My father was. I wasn't. Thank God. And um, so they, they mine gold. They don't take the gold and they put it in marshmallows. I'm like, voila, look at it. The gold is sitting in marshmallows. Look how beautiful this ring is. They don't do that. You know how gold is refined? In fire. In Hot, hot fire. And my dear brother and sister in Christ, listen to me. God is up to something in your life. Maybe this morning you, like this nameless, helpless little woman, says, hey, if we did right, my husband served, loved you, now he's dead, disaster's coming. Debts have to be paid. Are you for me? Are you against me? Why? Maybe for you, that's the question in your head. I would just say to you, I don't have an answer of why. But I do have an answer of who. He's good. He's all wise. He's purging, refining, making his people the image of his son. So, let me encourage you this morning. The tenderness of God. By the way, this is just extra, but here's a woman who has no name, doesn't give a name, who's helpless, who has no, no means, and yet she's given seven verses in Second Kings. Do you know there are kings who are mentioned who are powerful rulers who get five verses or six? <laughs> they don't get seven. And here's the point that the God of heaven cares for his desperate people. They matter to him. So, I want to encourage you this morning. We will ask the why question. You might not ask it out loud. 
But in your mind, God, what are you doing? Are you for me? Are you against me? What's this all about? This is really difficult. I try to do right. This is, this is what I get. You might not say that. You'll think that. And when you do, I want to remind you of God's tenderness and his tendencies. His purging. His refining. His goal for you and for me, his perfect will, is that we conformed to the image of Christ. His word. We can trust him.